Jesus is dead. April Fools. <laughs> Amen. He's alive. Amen. You know, it's a, it's a church tradition. When you say, he is risen, you respond, he's risen indeed. So let's try it. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Good job. All right. Well, you may open your Bibles to Luke 24. Man, it is good to see you here today. Some of you uh, are members that are here every week. Some of you maybe are members, hadn't been in a while. Glad to see you back. Some of you may have just wandered in. Anybody come because you got some popcorn this week? I don't know, did Pastor Bobby ask that question? Uh, We handed out some popcorn, invited people to church. I just was curious if if anybody came because of that, man. I'm glad that you guys are here. We're going to look in Luke 24. Uh, My name's Stuart McCarter, by the way. I'm pastor here, and uh, uh, that's why they let me preach on Sunday, so it's pretty fun. And... uh, uh, I, I don't usually wear a suit, but it's Easter. I came in today and so many men were in suits. I was shocked. And uh, we don't usually do that, but it's Easter. And so for some reason, it's in my contract. I have to wear a suit at least once a year to let everybody know I have one. But after that, I'm pretty much good. So uh, I, I, a lot of folks got dressed up today. That's great. I was having a conversation with a pretty wise young man. And we were talking about that because we had a uh, service on Friday, Good Friday, when we celebrated Jesus's death and we were talking about why do we dress up for church and so we were just surmising why we thought we ever got to that point where we thought we had to because I mean Jesus didn't get dressed up to go to the cross and I don't think the disciples dressed up every day because they met every day they just kind of lived life and and got it together so somewhere in there we started thinking I guess that we had to dress up or something but um, the reality is God doesn't give a flip okay about uh, about what we're wearing he cares more about what's in our heart isn't that right? Okay, good. Uh, you can, if you agree with something, you can say amen. If you don't agree with something, but you're tracking with me, you can go amen. I, I don't care. That doesn't bother me. Uh, I won't lose my place. I'm not that kind of preacher. Uh, I don't lose my place. And today, I'm going to look in Luke 24. I'm going to start in verse 13. And this is different for me. I've never done an Easter sermon where uh, I, I, I jump past the empty tomb. Uh, a lot of us wear, wear a cross. I, I was telling you, uh, I, don't, I wear a shark's tooth, but there's a whole other story you can ask me later. But um, uh, a lot of people wear a cross, and, and it, it reminds people of, of Christ and what he did. Some people wear a crucifix. Christ's still on the cross, and that, that's fine. Um, some people wear a cross that don't know what it means. I, I mean, some people don't know what Easter means. I, I had a conversation with a friend when I was 15 years old. I think we were in math class. I, I, I remember the conversation vividly. 10th grade, standing there, and it was about this time of year, Easter was coming, and I said something about Easter coming, and I asked her, you know what Easter's about, right? Because I figured everybody did, and she said no. It shocked me that somebody living in America didn't know what Easter was, and since then, of course, I was young, and since then, I've learned a lot of people don't know what Easter really is. Easter is because God put on flesh and dwelt among us. And he became sin for us on the cross. Because way back, there's this guy named Adam. And Adam was the first man. And Adam sinned. And sin passed on all men. And so all, of, all are sinners. In Psalm 139, the Bible says that in sin, my mother conceived me. It was Dave, King David speaking. And it didn't mean that his mom was living in sin and, and, and got pregnant. He had a mom, a dad. It was just a normal thing. But what he was saying is at the point of conception, he was a sinner. You see, we're not born innocent and become sinners. We're born sinners and need a Savior from the very beginning. And we trust God for all that. don't, Don't start going down any rabbit trail there. Other than we always need a Savior. And God in His in His grace works that out for us to 
till the fact that we get to know him. But somebody had to pay for that. And Jesus did that for us in Corinthians. He, he didn't have God as his father. I mean, he didn't have man as his father. He had God as his father. So he had no original, he had no sin in him at conception because God was his father. And he, and he passed the test. He was tempted just like Adam had been tempted. Yet he passed the test. So he was innocent. And Corinthians says, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so Jesus came and died on a cross, not for his own sin, but for my sin, for your sin. Everything I do that I don't want to do, everything I don't do that I ought to do is sin to God. And, and God put all that on Christ and he died in our place and was buried. Now, if that's the end of the story, we're in trouble. If all Jesus did was die for our sin, we're in trouble. The Bible tells us that he got up from the grave. That's what today's about. That's why I, mean, I come into this service excited. We celebrate Easter. We do that once a year. And it has something to do with seasons and moons. And I, I still don't even know how they figure that out. But anyway, that's how it works. But, but, but the deal is, in case you've never been here before, we celebrate the resurrection every week. And we're told to celebrate it every day because if Jesus didn't get up from the grave, I wouldn't have got out of bed this morning. I mean, I would have cared. There would have been... If you can disprove the resurrection... Congratulations, first person over 2,000 years that could, could prove that Jesus actually didn't come out of the grave because he did. Um, it's the most provable fact of all of history, in fact. Uh, but if he didn't come out of the grave, then what we believe is pointless. Because Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed that he would only be dead three days. He claimed that he would come out of the grave alive. The Bible predicted it in the Old Testament, predicted it in Isaiah, predicted it in the Psalm, predicted it all through there. Jesus explained it to his disciples, even though they didn't get it at first, and then he did it. And Romans 1 tells us that Jesus proved to be the Son of God by the resurrection of the dead. So if he didn't get up from the dead, he's not the Son of God, and everything he said is a lie. And you can go and go home and do whatever you want. But since he is God, since he did put on flesh, since he was perfect and died in our place, to not receive the, the sacrifice that God himself provided for your salvation is to be lost. That's the word we use. It means you have no hope of heaven. You have no assurance that you're going anywhere because none of us are going to get there because we were good enough. I mean, none of us in here are. All of us are sinners and need a Savior. And so I want you to understand that. We're going to look here in Luke 24. And, uh, and as we think about the resurrection of Christ, I want you to think about this. Nobody expected him to be out of the tomb. I mean, the women who went there early in the morning to the tomb to see him, they took spices with them to rewrap his body. They had to do a rush job on Friday night uh, because the Passover was coming. They had to get it done before nightfall. They, they did a minimum amount, and it was about 300 pounds of it, but they did a minimum amount. They actually did a lot more than that usually. Stuck him in a borrowed tomb, and then the Pharisees, and, and that's why the Roman soldier went up there and he pretended uh, to check the check the stone because Rome put a seal on that stone so that it couldn't be broken. That was like federal government, you know, uh, highly classified, don't mess with this stuff. You better not move that stone. And in fact, and so the women went and on the way they said, who's going to roll the stone away for us? Said, I don't know, but we're going anyway. And, you know, they were just those kind of, of, of great women. And they carried new spices with them. They're going to rewrap his body. They expect to find a 
dead body in the tomb. So did his disciples. They thought he was still there. They were up in the upper room just scared to death. You know, they're just shaking in their boots. Wondering what's going to happen next. Most people expected Jesus to stay dead. And, and actually, Satan expected that too. He thought he had won the victory when, G, when he got Jesus killed. Ha! See, God wasn't vulnerable to Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Y'all realize that, right? When God became a baby and was born in Bethlehem, he did not begin to exist at Bethlehem. He always was. The Bible says in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word put on flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And Satan didn't want Jesus to be born. He tried. He made Mary travel a great distance, uh, 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 very pregnant, which could have caused a miscarriage, but she made it. Uh, before two years old, the government killed all the babies. <clears throat> I'll stop. And so they fled to Egypt. Uh, when, he, when Jesus came back, all through his life, Satan tried to get him to die too quickly uh, because he didn't want him to make it to the, to the end. But also, that was the only time Jesus, God was ever vulnerable to the devil. God put on a body and I can kill him? I mean, they make horror movies about this, right? Not about being Jesus, but, you know, killing bad things or things you are your enemy. And, you know, in the horror movies, they, you can't keep them dead. Well, this is... But not a horror movie, and you can't keep Jesus dead. So Jesus goes to the cross, he dies for us, and they put him in a tomb, and everybody expected him to be dead, but he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he got up, and in getting up, he proves that if we believe in him, and we identify ourselves in his death, we ask him to save us. We go to him and say, I want to die with you so that I can be made a brand new creation, because he rose from the dead, we're going to rise from the dead. Well, if that doesn't excite you, you, I don't know what will. I mean, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you're not going to. But because he did, it's possible if you follow him, if you believe in him, if you trust that he is God and that he died in your place. You see, when Jesus comes in, he takes away what's old and replaces with what's new. Let me... Let me let me just illustrate that. It, it's a spiritual thing that happens. You, you can't see it physically right now. Because I was born July 21st, 1959, uh, at 5.18 in the morning. weighed 8 pounds, 15 ounces at, uh, at, at uh, St. Francis Hospital, downtown Charleston, South Carolina. Actually, Roper, I think, in the hospital. But anyway, downtown Charleston, South Carolina. That's where I was born. Eight years later, June of 1968, I came to know Jesus Christ in a very personal way. I believe that he died for me and I accepted his sacrifice for my salvation, for my sin. And, and I, I, I became saved. And at that point, I died. Spiritually, what I was died. What I was born to my parents died, but I was born again into Christ. Now, I still go by the same name. And this outside, well, it looks different, but it's still the same outside. None of that changed. But Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, Christ lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Follow that? Okay, that was, that was a lot. That was, was a water hose of information. If you never heard it, you might not could have held on to that. But, but Christ makes us brand new from the inside out. And what everybody needs is to be a new person in the same skin. I mean, I've had married couples come to me and, and, and the husband and the wife and the husband's 
lost and I'll just look at the woman and say, you need a new husband. And that doesn't excite the man too much when I say that. But I, and then I say, in the same skin. That guy needs to get saved. You know, you need to get saved. Somebody needs... Because when we, when we accept Christ, you know what happens? God starts to live in us. The power of God lives in us. And if God who created the universe lives in you, something's got to give. And it's not going to be him. It's going to be you. And it changes our life. Well, stand up with me. I've been talking a lot. Let me, let me read these verses. because I want to show you, this is the day everything changed. Everything changed. And these two disciples are a good illustration of that. It says on the very day, verse 13 is where we start in Luke 24. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, they're walking. It takes about, it would be around two hours to walk that. At a normal pace, you walk 15 miles an hour. And so, uh, yeah, no, four miles an hour. You can walk. That's going, whoa, that's pretty fast. I had to think about that. You can go about four miles in an hour. So about 15 minutes per mile. That's about how fast you walk. I'm a preacher, not a mathematician. Come on, y'all. And, uh, and so it took about two hours. So they had some time to talk. And they, they walked to Emmaus. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover... Some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find the body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? And enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so they drew near the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward, uh, it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told them what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Would you pray with me for a minute? Father, we love you. You indeed uh, are awesome. God, you said that you loved us so much that you sent your only begotten son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We thank you, Jesus, that you came at the will of the Father and died on the cross for us. You who knew no sin, you who did not deserve to die, died in the place of all of us who should have died. So that we could have life, that we could be made brand new, so we could be made different. 
And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that we can be born again. And I pray, pray right now in the name of Christ that you would meet the needs of every person in this room. Lord, some people came in here today with some really heavy burdens. Lord, it could multitude of things it could be. It could be in personal relationships, Lord. It could be in finance. It could be in just some things we can't even imagine. And so, Lord, we pray that you would show yourself mighty on their behalf. Lord, there are people that came in today that don't even know that they have a need. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit do his work. Convict us of sin. Convince us of righteousness and judgment to come. And Lord, today some of us came in thinking we were okay. Everything's just fine. But Lord, indeed, we forget that we need you every moment of every day, every hour. And so Lord, today, touch our hearts, our minds, that we might depend more on you, less on ourselves. And Lord, until the day that we are totally surrendered to you and look like you, for we will see you as you are. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we pray that you would have your will and your way in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all can be seated if you want to. If you don't want to, that's fine. These two men, I want you to catch today. This is what I want you to remember. Jesus always shows up. Y'all know that? Jesus never doesn't show up. He always shows up. There's never a time he doesn't. And when you talk about him, he shows up. These men are having a gospel con, uh, conversation. They're talking to each other about Christ. It is a great way, in case you have trouble telling other people about Jesus, find somebody who knows Jesus and talk to them about Jesus. And let the lost people listen in. Let the one that you want to witness to listen in. I, I, a guy back, uh, I heard this in, back in the 70s, actually. Uh, but that was part of his testimony. He was in Navy boot camp. Uh, he was really uh, mean, threatened to kill his roommates, her bunkmates, whatever you call them, barracks mates, who were Christians. So they just grabbed his boots and went out to polish them for him, sat under an open window next to his bunk and said, did you know Jesus died for our sin? And I said, well, I know, tell me about it. And they talked about it in front of the guy that needed to hear it. So if you have trouble doing that, that's a good way to do it. They, they were having a gospel conversation. These men are having a gospel conversation. Gospel means good news. It's the story of Jesus. On Sunday nights, we teach on prayer here. Uh, we're in the middle of a class. we got three more weeks starting back next week. We're not going to meet tonight. But next week, we'll do that. And for three more weeks, you can still come. It's not one, two, three, four. Each one kind of stands on its own. But So come on. But at the end of that, I want to take about three more weeks and talk to us about how to have a gospel conversation with somebody. How at work or in a family meeting. Because I've been around my lost friends and my lost family. I didn't know how to start the conversation. So just a way to help you start that conversation. These guys, they're having a gospel conversation. Jesus shows up. Anytime you talk about Jesus, he shows up. Because he likes that. Now, let me warn you, his enemy will show up if you talk about him. His enemy will show up if you talk about Jesus because they don't want you talking about him. Because Satan doesn't want you to talk about him either. And Satan is the great enemy of Christ. And you talk about him, he'll show up. But the Bible says if something's good or wonderful, it has virtues, got praise, think on these things. And so when we start talking about the Lord, he shows up. And these guys are having this gospel conversation, but in the middle of it, they're ignorant. And I, I, that, that shouldn't catch us by surprise. And I don't mean that in an ugly way. I mean that in a technical, literal way. They, think about it. They were ignorant about who he is. We're going to see that. They were ignorant about what he did. And they were ignorant about the scriptures. And, and we see all three things in this story. And they saw what he did. They saw he died on the cross. But they were ignorant about why he did it. And so Jesus, in the story, gives them a chance. He asks them the question. And it, <laughs> I, I thought about that. Have, have you ever been to your own funeral? 
Jesus got to ask two guys who were at his funeral, hey, what happened? <laughs> and they messed it up. And so I want you to see all of these things. First of all, they're having this gospel conversation. They're just walking along. They're talking. It took about two hours. And Jesus shows up to, as they're talking about him. And it says in verse 14, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. They did not recognize Jesus even though he was in his body talking to them. And so they said, and he asked them, what's this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And one of them said, named Cleopas. And I, I, I got to think about that, Cleopas. He's the only one named. Somebody told me afterwards, this might have been a husband and wife because they asked Jesus to come to the house that they went to. We don't know. But mm, that's true. We, we're not told. It could have been another guy. I don't know. But we only, So is Cleopas' name important? So I looked it up. You know how many times the name Cleopas appears in the Bible? Once. <laughs> this is it. So I thought, hmm, what does Cleopas mean? Because God doesn't waste words. It means the father of glory. The P-A-S on the end is a shortened form of patros, which means father. And Cleo means glory. It's the father of glory. You talk about Jesus, man. You're, you're celebrating the father of glory. You've got the plan who sent Christ to save us. And that's why he gives that name. You want to glorify God, talk about Jesus. I like amens, by the way, in case you don't know. So when I stop, I'm waiting. Okay. Sort of like a politician. Good evening. Then he waits for everybody to clap. You know, uh, you watch a political, a five-minute political speech takes two hours because they wait for people to clap. But anyway. But then Jesus asked a question. What, what, what are you talking about? And they, they tell him, are you, like, where are you from, man? You're not from around here, you know? And, they, and so they said, don't you know what just happened? We're talking about the things that just happened in Jerusalem. He said, what things? And they get the answer wrong. He gave them a chance to get it right. They get it wrong. Now, guys, if you're in here and you're not married, or if you are married and don't know, I'm going to help you. If your girlfriend, significant other, wife ever looks at you and says, which one looks best? Don't tell them. The correct answer is, which one do you like? Now, I know that... You know, they, they killed uh, Socrates for asking questions. People ask questions. But don't ever give them an answer. Just ask them. And then they'll tell you. Because my wife has asked me, hey, which one goes better? And, I, and I'll go, that one. And she'll go, no, that's wrong. <laughs> and I say, then why did you ask me if you already knew the answer? She said, I gave you a chance to get it right. <laughs> now, we have had that conversation. Not in, it was fun. And that made me think, man, Jesus goes, hey, what are y'all talking about? They told him, said, what things? He gave them a chance to get it right, but they messed it up. They still got it wrong. And here's, because here's what they said. They said, we had hoped, down in verse uh, 21, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's the third day since these things have happened. They were looking for a political deliverer. They were looking for somebody to throw away the government oppression of Rome over Israel. They wanted to get rid of the government that was, was oppressing them so they could have their own government. Even his disciples thought that. In fact, in Acts, when Jesus is about to ascend to the Father, after rising from the dead, after spending 40 days continuing to teach them and appear to them and tell them things, they look at him on that mountain just before he goes into heaven and says... So now are you going to do it? Is today the day? 
He said, you're not getting it. The kingdom is not a political kingdom yet. It is a kingdom in our heart. See, I'm already part of that kingdom. Because I told you, as an eight-year-old boy, I died, was born again. I was born to a new kingdom. On this earth, I'm an alien and a stranger. And no government has control over me in the sense that that it ultimately will matter in my life. Now, I've got to obey the laws and all that. I'm not advocating anything other than that. But what I'm saying is this, that if the government told me to renounce Christ and kill me because I didn't, so what? (laughs) They actually did not affect my future at all. They just hastened it in our way of thinking. Yeah, thank you. Y'all catching on now. All right. They just got me there quicker than I thought it was going to happen. That's all. It didn't change it. I'm not a citizen here. I just went to my country. I went home. I went to heaven. And that's what it means to, to know Christ. And, and, and they were saying, oh, this is what happened. And they got the facts right, but they got the wrong conclusion. They, they thought he was going to do a, a new kingdom. And then they even say, oh, by the way, before we took off from Jerusalem to come up here, some women had gone down early in the morning because they're crazy because we know the Roman guards. It's actually like SEAL Team 6 was guarding the tomb. Uh, we, we learned historically it was 16 men and a Roman guard. They, they rotated the guy on watch every 15 minutes so that nobody would fall asleep because if one guy out of 16 fell asleep, they would put to death all 16 men. And Roman put its seal on it, so they put a Roman guard in front of it. And these women are going to attack SEAL Team 6 to get in a tomb sealed by the government. Now that, my friend, is bravery. You say, that's crazy. No, that's bravery. They love Jesus so much, they weren't going to let anything stop them. And when they got there, the stone's gone, the soldiers are gone, because after they woke up after the earthquake and getting knocked down like dead men, they took off running. And the, and the, and the Pharisees, the Jew, Jewish people said, don't worry, we'll take care of it for you. And they bribed the so they wouldn't get killed for falling asleep or losing or not doing their job right. And they missed this whole thing. And, and, and they told all of that. And, and notice this. Jesus appears to these two guys between the women and the disciples. He doesn't even go straight to the disciples. He talks to these two. In, in other words, he's wanting those disciples to believe. So he tells the women, he tells these guys to report back to the disciples to get them off their blessed assurance because they're hiding in an upper room to go see for themselves. But anyway, and they said, um, and he said to them, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. See, they had a gross misunderstanding. But Jesus classifies our gross misunderstanding, our ignorance as unbelief. Slow of heart to believe. Because in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it had been predicted that when the Messiah would come, he would die and be raised again in three days. And Jesus says, you just didn't want to believe it. And friend, let me just tell you something. If you're ignorant of Christ today after hearing the scripture, it is a willful ignorance. In other words, because you don't want to believe it. We were talking about that in Sunday school. You know, people, do you believe in the resurrection? Guess what? The resurrection happened. When we say you believe in it, it doesn't make it true. It makes it applicable to your life. Because it is true. And truth is something that can't be changed. It doesn't become true because you believe it. It just affects your life because you believe it. You understand that? Okay. So make sure you get that. So the Bible starts talking about Jesus from the very first page. Because notice what happens here. He says, 
Was it not necessary that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning, in verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scripture, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. On page one of the Bible, Jesus is there. Until the end of the Bible, Jesus is there. Everything in the scripture points to Jesus. Jesus said, search the scriptures. For in them you find eternal life. And these are they that testify of me. In our Sunday school here at, our, at Calvary Church, we, we teach in a curriculum called the Gospel Project. And what it does is it shows every story in the Bible how it applies to Jesus. Because here's what we do. We read, you know, you and I, we go to a movie or we read a book and we identify with the hero of the story. We never want to be the guy with a red shirt in Star Trek. Because the older crowd's getting that. They're laughing. Uh, we, we don't want to be the guy that gets killed in the opening credits that they're trying to solve the murder the rest of the show. We want to be the guy solving the murder. We want to be the big hero. We want to be the guy that wins the fight at the end of the day. And we do the same thing in the Bible. We read the Bible. Uh, the, the greatest example is David and Goliath. Man, we read about David and Goliath. Go, yeah, be a David. I'm going to be David. No, you won't. You're going to be one of the other guys in the army standing on the hillside going, because you don't want to go face a giant. David is Jesus. Jesus wins the battle so he can show us that we can win a battle. And then we go fight our battle that he gives us to fight. But we're not David. We're the scaredy cats. And we need the Holy Spirit to come and, and strengthen us and show us and, 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 and to empower us to win. And the Bible is always talking about Jesus. And we, we miss it because we put ourselves there instead of Jesus there. And when you start reading the Bible, start realizing it's talking about Christ. And so Jesus explains the whole thing to him. And I used to always love to say, man, of all the sermons ever preached, I wish I could have heard that one. I mean, for about two hours, Jesus is talking to these guys about from Genesis 1 all the way through the Old Testament, how the whole Old Testament talks about him. And then I realized something. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit to us. So that we could understand what is written in the scripture. That's what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. He came to, to open our eyes, to enlighten us, to explain these things to us. And so if you are saved and you have the Holy Spirit, that sermon is now living in you and you can listen. And you can learn as you read scripture as the Holy Spirit helps you understand. And so Jesus interpreted the scriptures for them. You see, there, after all of that, there's this gracious revelation that he gives them. So they got near the village they were going, and he acted as if he were going to go on further. Now, why did he act like he was going on further? Because Jesus was a southerner. You don't go in anybody's house uninvited. Right? I was having this conversation this week uh, with someone. We, we have a silly little office. Uh, it's great. We, we enjoy it. But a little tradition in our office. Um, and, and there's something we're sp- everybody in the office is supposed to do once a month. And the guy that does it first gets a trophy filled with candy. Amen. Well, the person that won didn't want to eat all those sweets, and so they put it out in a public place where everybody could get it. And in a day, it was all gone except one piece. And I looked in there, I said, oh, there's one piece. I didn't need any, I don't think. And I looked in there, and I said, oh, there's one piece. And so I was thinking about getting one, and there was only one, so I didn't get it. And they said, go ahead and get it. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And they said, well, I was arguing with the person who put it there that who was going to get the last piece. I said, well, we're Southerners. We don't do that. 
said, what do you mean? I said, you never take the last piece, right? If there's one piece left, you just, oh, no, no, I'm good, thank you. In fact, a lady gave a supper, and, and, and she had you know, 12 guests around the table, 12 people, and there was one piece of chicken left. She said, Who, somebody get the chicken. And everybody, no, no, I'm full, I'm full, I'm fine. And the lights went out, and they heard a scream. And the lights came on, there was one hand on the chicken, 11 forks in it. So, uh, <laughs> he acted as if he was going to go farther, but they urged him, saying, stay with us. Short evening, day's gone, come on in. So he sat down at the table with them. Now, I don't know why they asked him to say the blessing. Because he, it's not his house. I mean, if you invite me to your house for lunch or dinner or something, and you say, Pastor, would you like to pray? I always say, no, the man of the house should pray. And I bow my head and make you pray. I, I don't know. Well, I don't make you pray. But if you don't pray, that's fine. But, <laughs> but he gives the blessing. And he blessed it and broke it and handed it to him, And they saw him. God, I know that God opened their eyes to recognize him because somehow in this resurrected body of Christ, he was able to hide his identity. Mary didn't recognize him. These guys didn't recognize him. In, in the revelation of John, John sees him glorified and falls as a dead man at his feet. And John was the guy that was the closest to Jesus on earth. He was the beloved disciple. He's the one that Jesus loved the most and he loved Jesus the most. And everybody knew it and they didn't mind admitting it. And so he has the power to hide himself, and he did that up to this point. But in the breaking of the bread and the reaching out with it, the way he said it and the way he moved, God let them see that it was Jesus just then. One fellow told me that maybe when he reached out, his robe got pulled back, and they saw the holes in his wrists and realized it was Christ. And they went, it's Jesus, and he disappeared. He's gone. Now, he's not a ghost. He's a body. He's going to eat that food. He goes and meets the disciples. They go, it's a ghost. He goes, I'm not a ghost. Give me some fish. He eats fish. The glorified body can just move at the speed of thought, it seems. And that walls don't matter. Go through stuff. I mean, we had to portray it because we're just men the best way we could. But what we did up there is not exactly what happened. Because what exactly happened is Jesus just went and was gone. The stone, he was gone before they rolled the stone away. He just left. And in fact, because the Bible tells us, I think it's the John account, when, that, that when they looked in the tomb, there was those clothes and they just sunk down right where they were. He just went right out through them. They had just gone out through the rock and everything. He's just out of there. And so the stones rolled away so the women could get in and go back and tell everybody he's gone. He's, he's gone. By the way, that's what makes Jesus different from everybody else. His grave's empty. In fact, when the stone went away, the, the, the original language the Bible's written in doesn't say that we, we interpret the stone rolled away, but, it, but it, it means cast away. It means thrown away. And I got this feeling God, you know, assigned one of the angels, you knock the stone out. He goes, I get to knock away the stone. All right. And he went inside the tomb, went, boom, and just, whoa, that was a winner. I always wanted to do that in church, but somebody get hurt. You know what I mean? Just like have that thing just blow off of the door. That would be amazing. But that's what happened. Jesus was gone. Stone blows off. And women get there and go, where are the Romans? And there's the tomb. The stones move. And they go in. And there's Jesus. And he starts talking. And they see angels. And then Mary sees Jesus. And they go back and tell the disciples that he's alive. Jesus wasn't going to stay without an invitation. And he reveals himself in a familiar act. But I want you to notice something here that. It says there in verse 31, their eyes were open, they recognized him, 
He vanished, and they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked on the road, while he opened us the scripture? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together. And the eleven and those were saying, The Lord is risen indeed, appeared to Simon. And they, and they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them, the breaking of the bread. So they went and told. You see, when, when God does come into your life, you're going to tell somebody. You're going to tell somebody about what God just did for you. It's just that it's natural. How can you not tell somebody? I, a, a year, a, about two years ago now, a little, more, or a little more than a year ago, my favorite sports team, the Clemson Tigers, became national champions. Ask me about it. <laughs> I'll be glad to tell you about it. That's just a stupid game. I mean, they had to redecide it the next year, and they're going to redecide it again this year. I mean, it's temporary. It's meaningless. Jesus rose from the dead. You're lost on your way to hell, and he intervenes in your life and saves you and changes you, makes you a brand new creation so that you know heaven is your home, God is your father, the Holy Spirit is your companion on this earth, and Jesus is your king, and you can't tell somebody that? See, it just ought to come with the territory. It always amazes me. We've got to convince Christians ought to talk about Jesus. I thought Christian meant Christ-like one, and he talked about himself. So we ought to be talking about him, right? When, when my middle daughter accepted Christ, my son was about three. And so our middle daughter, she asked Christ to be her Savior. And so, of course, you call the grandparents. That's what you do. And in case you don't know that, that's what you need to do. And so she calls her grandma, and then she calls my mom, her other grandma, and says, I asked Jesus in my heart. And I, you know, Jesus saved me today. And my mom says, oh, praise the Lord, all my grandchildren are saved. Now, my son is the youngest grandchild. And Cameron's response was, well, we don't know about Ian yet. <laughs> Man, when Jesus changes your life, the first thing you think about is the people that need him. When you start having a gospel conversation, even if you don't know what you're talking about, Jesus will show up and he'll help you fix that. And he'll start telling you all about himself and then he'll reveal himself to you in such a way that you just want to go tell somebody, I just saw Jesus. Man, this is what he did for me. This is what he has, he has done in my life. And he's radically changed me from what I was. And one day he's going to make me everything I ought to be. And in the meantime, I get to grow in him. So what can you do about all this this week? Well, I got a couple of suggestions. Number one, have a gospel conversation with somebody. Ask them what they thought about Easter. You say, I don't, I don't know how to talk about the Lord. Okay, fine. You go back to work, go back to school, whatever, your friends, and just go, hey, how was Easter? What did you think about Easter? And you don't really care what they answer because I don't really care what they answer. I ask people all the time, where do you go to church? I don't care what they tell me. They can tell me, I go to the you know, first church is the second squirrel of the third oak tree. I don't care. Because all I did is put their mind in a religious point. And just say, how was your Easter? And they say, oh man, I got a lot of candy and stuff. Really, it, is that what Easter means to you? Do you know what Easter really means? And then you talk, t- start telling about Jesus. I mean, it's simple. I just gave you a question that will lead you right into telling them about Christ. Because today was about Jesus rising from the dead. So all I got to do is say, hey, how was your Easter? Or what did you do on Easter? Or where did you go to church Easter? Something like that. And just ask them. I put it up there so you'd know that. Ask them what they thought about Easter. 
And number two, dedicate yourself to know Jesus personally this year. So I, I already know Christ, I'm saved. I don't mean get saved. I mean, you want to become his best friend. Start today by rereading in the Bible the story of his arrest and his suffering and his death and his burial and his resurrection. Don't stop before you get to the resurrection. That's the good part. That's the best part. That, that he is alive to empower what he did on the cross for us. And so this is how you get to know God is by reading his word and asking God to help you understand it. Decide you want to know Christ and know God and begin to seek him and to follow him. And then thirdly, when Jesus does reveal himself to you, enthusiastically repeat the story. Just go tell other people about it. I don't think I got to tell you that because you'll do it naturally if Jesus truly is Lord of your life. And your thoughts will be on those who need to know him. And every person you meet, you'll wonder, are they going to heaven or hell? And you won't be satisfied till you know the answer to that question and get a chance to tell them about Christ if, they're not, if they don't know him already.